Hello, Marvelites. You are listening to Marvel's The Pull List for New Comics on sale March 20th, 2019. I'm Ryan Panagos, a.k.a. Agent M. And I'm Tucker Marcus. Talk a.k.a. The Toilet. What? You got an a.k.a.? Yeah. Wow. I was talking to a uh, dear, dear friend, Johnny DeLalo, back at my desk earlier today, and I said, hey, you know what my nickname back in college used to be? And I said, Tucker the Toilet Marcus. And then I said, just kidding, that didn't used to be it. And he said, you should introduce yourself on the pull list today as as that. And so there you go. Wish fulfilled. Oh, good job, Toy. <laughs> toy is, that, is that the, the Toy short? Boy. T-O-I-B-O-I. <laughs> Tucker Toy Boy. Oh, boy. Yeah, Triple P has already got her yeah. head in her hands. Oh, we are yeah. one minute into the pod. We have achieved the titular perturbed. Persia. Yeah. Before we get into the books, I want to plug our uh, This Week in Marvel panel coming up this uh, this coming weekend at C2E2 in Chicago. I'm going to be there. Uh, it's called This Week in Marvel Tournament of the Hunted. Mm. Uh, we're going to have Humberto Ramos and Nick Spencer and C.B. Sabolski. Uh, that is going to be Friday afternoon. You can check the C2E2 schedules for all the details. It's going to be a lot of fun. Also, this week... I wanted to say this up at the top because it's in pretty much most of the books, if not all the books, you'll see a full page ad that just says Hickman. What? And that's it. Mm, what the heck? Just you wait, y'all. Details, I'm sure, to come soon. Wow. But for now, let's dive into the books. First up is Age of X-Man Next Gen number two. It's written by our dear friend Ed Brisson, with art by Marcus Toe, colors by Jason Keith, and letters by VCs Clayton Cowles. Tucker, yes. or Toy Boy, I yes. should say, I had a question in my notes for you based mm. on this book. If you woke up and you were fully covered by Glob's Biowax, what would you do? I would throw a party immediately because maybe that means I'm turning it, am I becoming Glob-like? At the very least, I would have, I'm assuming in this reality, Glob is real, or is it just like I have like pink goo on me? Well, I mean, there are so many other questions, but I'm going to take it to mean that Glob is, much like in this book, right next to me, and then at the very least, we'll have something to talk about. I mean, we already have so much to talk about. On that level, I would love it. On like a cleanliness level, because I love to wash my hands, it's one of my great favorite pastimes, um, <laughs> I would hate it. But... It would actually be okay to me because, like, I have like a buzzed head, so like I wouldn't have to cut all my hair off because of globs, you know, globiness on my hair. Uh, and anyway, say I threw you for a loop on that one. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, I love that uh, as we're progressing in these Age of X Men stories, each different series, each cast of characters are in their own ways unraveling that something isn't quite right. There's kind of been in a few of these different stories so far, one character that for some reason catches on to something, realizes something, whether that's via a vision or a dream or just intuition or something like that, realizes that there's something up. And our way in, in Next Gen, in this series, is Glob, my man. And <laughs> Ed Brisson's number one favorite I, I love it when Glob is used as a profoundly human character, despite all of his his mutant abilities and the way he looks. In a lot of ways, he is, um, you know, he is 
just a really human character and really in touch with the world around him and himself. And so to see that he notices something is wrong and he kind of has he has these vague theories about what might be the reason why that's where we open up in the in the issue where, where he's kind of experimenting with seeing if what's kind of insulating him or what he thinks might be insulating him from what he thinks is this kind of like mind wipe kind of like mind control kind of thing could be transferred onto others. He's unsure. He's trying to figure it out. But as we go through this book, uh, it's really funny because I was literally thinking about the Goonies when I was mm. reading this because it's got this kind of mission aspect with these youthful characters. I think that's something that Ed Brisson does so incredibly well is he writes that that youthful teen dynamic so, so wonderfully. And that's exactly what makes it so fun and so exciting. Yeah. yeah. Neat. Up next is another Age of X-Men book. It is Age of X-Men, The Amazing Nightcrawler, number Two, written by Shauna McGuire, art by Juan Fregueri, colors by Dono Sanchez Armada, and letters by VCs Travis Lanham. Well, one of the things we know about this universe is that in the age of X-Men, relations, wink, wink, nudge, <laughs> nudge, uh, are forbidden. So we open with Nightcrawler waking up in bed next to Megan, dun, 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 his <laughs> co-star. Uh, and I like the recap for the last issue is, after a charity gala, Nightcrawler accidentally spent the night with his co-star, Megan. I don't know how accidental yeah. that is. You just, like, that's a thing you plan on doing in this <laughs> case. Anyway, I love this issue. You get Nightcrawler struggling with his feelings for Megan versus his duties as an X-Man and public figure. And so you get, like, his confusion about it all, which is really good. Nightcrawler is such like a sweet boy. Yeah. And you just want to like be like, no, it's okay, honey. You're <laughs> going to get through this. Uh, Shauna nails that sense of, ah, freak out that he goes through. And of course, like the secrets that they have to keep because what they've done is something that could destroy the, the studio that they work for, hurt the X-Men, hurt like it, mm-hmm. the domino effect for just like, feeling something for someone in this world that gosh darn nina thurman effect i see what you did there (gasps) look at that three pointer (laughs) yes uh this issue delicious drama without being like melodramatic plus really cool things that they set up with his rival movie studio and the final two scenes i will not spoil but Mm -hmm. i was i was real into those and there's one thing that i i posed to you and jamie about this issue because yeah. with the the movie studio, there's all these like fake movies in this universe. <laughs> like I want more about those. Oh, They're yeah. so fun. Yeah, totally. Up next is Avengers number 17. And this one is the this is the big knockdown, drag out, climactic battle between the uh the Avengers and the Vampiric Legion of the Unliving. Uh written by Jason Aaron, with art by David Marquez, colors by Eric Arseniega, letters by VCs Clayton Cowles. And so it's also the issue you've got to read if you are looking for that badass blade in comics. Like, he's so cool. He is who you want to see when you think of Blade. Mm -hmm. Like, that version in your head, this is him in the comics. He's really fun. Slashing and quipping and, like, taking it to the suckheads. (laughs) Yeah, I love that line. That line is so good. We get... Really cool moments for Ghost Rider and Hulk, and most importantly, Thor. Thor's yeah. talking hell dog has a great scene where he ends up like howling. Yeah. It's so much fun. Uh, by the end of the issue, there's a, a huge situation brewing that uh, will be really bad for the world <laughs> if it remains unchecked. 
We'll see. It's not like there's a whole lot of other stuff happening oh, in the yeah. world. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Next up, now we have Avengers No Road Home, number six. Hard to believe we're already at number six. Um, we got to talk real quick. Yeah. When we're talking about this issue, there's no way to talk about it without talking about spoilers for last issue. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. The cover to this issue is a spoiler for the big thing that happened yes. last issue. So. Yes. If you're waiting to read this, I know it's coming out weekly, mm-hmm. you got to skip ahead because yeah. there's truly no way to discuss this issue without spoiling the big thing. Yeah, it's true. Skip ahead and also don't, don't look, look at, at previews, yeah. don't look at covers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Shield yourself. Yeah. Um, because, yeah, in this issue, I mean, it happens. It's Conan. is teamed up with the Scarlet Witch. It's so cool. Yeah. I, I loved that last page. At the end of number five, where we see Scarlet Witch kind of awaken in this kind of desert landscape. She's super disoriented. She's kind of been shot like across dimensions, essentially. And she looks up and Conan is there with his sword and he's kind of like just framed. It's just it was so epic. So, uh, yeah, this is all written by Jim's up Mark Wade and Al Ewing with art by Sean Isaacs colors by J. David Ramos with Marcio Moniz and letters by VCs Corey Pettit. There's a really cool, essentially like MacGuffin um, that we have in this story, which are like the shards that essentially kind of control the fate of Nyx, the fate in a lot of ways of everything that the Avengers are fighting for and against. But what was, I actually thought of another movie, speaking of like, this one is totally left field. Probably zero people's favorite movie. This reminded me of, because we have that kind of, that dimensions action with Nyx and Hulk and Hercules and the kind of aftermath of the slaughter of Olympus and all of that. Uh, and then we have what's going down with Scarlet Witch and Conan, and they're kind of on this journey of their own. And I was reminded of the 13th Warrior which I believe I've only seen once, and it was in Latin class. Why were we watching the 13th Warrior in Latin class, like in junior year of high school? I don't know. You took Latin in high school. Though. Yeah, four years. Well, can you, give me a sentence in Latin. Um, fiat lux. What is that? That means let there be light. That's really not a oh. sentence. I mean, it is a sentence, but it's more like that's a phrase from another thing that I just happen to remember. It just happens to be in Latin. Anyway, it's the kind of road journey aspect of it that I really thought of, which I loved. They're kind of like the art is so wonderfully done that you get you really get a sense of the passage of time. You get a sense the journey that Scarlet Witch and Conan are on together, how they come across various side characters and really interesting, sometimes nefarious, sometimes not others uh, along this journey while they're also kind of getting to know each other better. Scarlet Witch is starting to come to terms with where she is and uh, is kind of communing with it and, and, and being kind of her mystic self in that way. Conan is like this huge, you know, slash sword, like punch, like kind of, aspect you know of a character and scarlet witch is like the mystical character so i loved seeing them interact i love seeing that contrast and uh yeah I, I like i believe i remember knowing a few months ago whenever however i even found out that conan was like okay he's going to enter the marvel universe we're gonna mix these characters and things like that i don't remember where i read this but i remember reading something that was like it had to happen <laughs> and uh which i just loved and i know i was thinking of that this entire time it's so much fun yeah i i really like the dynamic between those two when 
Conan's like, use your disgusting, gross yeah. magics. And he's just like, I like you, but you're gross with your magic. Yeah. It's so yeah. fun. All right. Up next is Captain Marvel number three, written by Kelly Thompson, art by Carmen Canero, with colors by Tamara Bonvalain and letters by VCs Clayton Cowles. If you're just joining the series because you want to be on that Carol Danvers hype train... Well, welcome. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And enjoy it. This run is delightful. Carol, she's leading a group of really cool women in this sort of, I was trying to figure out how to describe this. It's not a pocket universe, Mm-mm. but it almost feels like its own pocket universe. Yeah. There's a dome over Roosevelt Island. Time moves differently. Most people can't get in. People can't get out. So there's it is existing in its own sort of way. Mm-hmm. And so this is happening as Carol and a bunch of other women are battling machismo. The nuclear man uh, who were this done in the 90s would have been great if it was uh, Scott Hall, a.k.a. Razor Ramon, who was playing this in a movie. Mm. Uh, he he had this like way about him was so sleazy. It was great. <laughs> uh, but he's a total misogynistic tool bag. And you've got Carol and her crew, which includes Jen Walters, Jessica Drew, Hazmat. And you get a really cool stealthy mission, which I always love. A stealth story. Totally. Yeah. Totally. I thought the same exact thing. Yeah. You know, Carmen's art, like the costume design, the world design, really, really fun. This sort of post-apocalyptic vibe to it. Plus, we get a really cool last page uh, with a special character who shows up, which we could talk about more next issue. I do want to point out there's a really gorgeous variant cover of Carol and Echo by uh, David Mack. Echo being one of the main characters mm-hmm. who's with Carol in this run. Totally. Next up, we have Friendly Neighborhood Spider-Man number four. It's written by the man Tom Taylor with art by the incredible Juan Cabal and finishes uh, on pages 18 to 20 by Douglas Franchin. Colors by Nolan Woodard and letters by VCs Travis Lanham. In the last issue, we visited Under York, which is this, I don't even really know how to describe it, kind of like it's like Magical part, yeah c- like city under new york city yeah it's like, like it can't physically exist there right but it like it like you know it's like a different vibrational thing. yes you should do a whole thing on the like the layers of new york city because oh, new york has uh you have regular new york you have the monster metropolis right there's the morlock tunnels which yep. you can sort of give its own thing mm-hmm. plus you have under york and i'm sure there's even more we oh, don't yeah. even like have at the top of our heads the bubble on roosevelt island for now yeah uh anyway so yeah we visited under york in the last issue and kind of got to explore this realm we've jumped back to regular new york in this issue with peter and his new cast of Supporting characters, teammates, things like that, including the rumor who he has teamed up with. She's such a great character. She's so great. Yeah, so awesome. Uh, they're coming back to New York, but the Under Yorkers have essentially come along for the ride. They've come for their revenge against our world, essentially. I just wanted to point out, I love this kind of flashback page, this look back to young Peter from Juan and Nolan I love the colors. I love the tone. It's pointing to a time when Uncle Ben was around, when it was young Peter. He was kind of struggling, and it just speaks to the so succinctly the love that he got from his aunt and uncle. But there is something so timeless about these panels, which I really, really loved. Uh, yeah, fantastic what feels like first arc completed now, and uh, yeah, just even more like hugely 
impactful stuff on the way. Totally. I want to point out two things about that book before I move on. One, the Juan Cabal double page spread where Spider-Man is yeah. dodging bullets and saving a cat is so good. And it I had to make sure I pointed out because uh, letterer Travis Lanham, that double page spread does not is not nearly as effective without the right lettering yes. and the right placements of everything. It is so good, so well put together by the entire team. I also just love the way Juan does Spidey's lenses, yeah. you know, his eyes. Mm-hmm. They very, they're very Ditko-y yes. in a really cool way. Also, that issue has one of our Marvel Meow variant covers mm-hmm. by Meow Fuji, which is so cute. It is <laughs> wonderful. It's uh, an adorable nine-panel comic featuring Spidey and a frisky little food-stealing kitty and a thwipped-up certain captain, which is real good, which leads me to Guardians of the Galaxy issue number three, which has got another Marvel Meow Marvel Meow variant by <laughs> Now Fuji. This one might be my favorite because there's a couple this week. This one has Carol Danvers curling uh, like a giant dumbbell and then cuddling a cat. And what happens in between that is so good. Yeah. I love it. Anyway, Guardians of the Galaxy is written by Donnie Cates, art by Jeff Shaw and Marte Gracia with letters by VCs Corey Pettit. This book is so fun. Donnie, he knows how to hit those cool moments. And, and those reveals when he brings Annihilus into things, amping it up with Hela, facing down Annihilus, who is one of the biggest bads in all of Marveldom. And she's just like, yeah, okay, I know when you're going to die and how you die for the mm-hmm. last time. He's like, stop talking to me. Yeah. It's so good. I love that moment so much. You got really creepy stuff with Star Fox, who's tripping out and like starting to talk to Thanos. But Thanos is obviously dead. We've talked about like some other stuff that's going on in the last few issues, including Wraith, who I, I think is really great seeing him in here. He's, you know, born Cree, made more. I like that. And the hint that he connects to Null and what Donnie's been building yep. at Venom. Mm-hmm. Like there's these little threads that, you know, I feel like Donnie could just go, you know, like a fishing pole, fishing rod. I mean, he goes, zoop, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. They reel you in. Yeah. He got me. He got yeah, me yeah. again. I love those little creator verses. Oh, you know yeah. what I mean? Like that different writers and different creators like come up with Zach Thompson and Lonnie Nadler were in the office recently and I spoke to them about that exact same thing. We talked about Age of X-Men and all that stuff and like the little things that they kind of like have woven in and, and it's just a really fun little thing if you're reading a bunch of comics. I'm just mad. I said I missed the sweet Canadian. Oh, guys. the best. Yeah. The dang best. Yep. In here, you know, of course, Jeff Shaw's work, so good. He, handling that sense of scale and size in the characters and the environments, I think, is is one of the things he does really well. You have this big, massive dude like Gladiator versus even Cosmic Ghost Rider, who's a little bit slimmer and mm-hmm. a little bit, like, not quite the same. Or Groot, this big, tall, you know, creature versus Phi Lavelle, who's a lot smaller. Mm-hmm. Uh, simple but very effective. Yeah, I love Donnie's Groot specifically. That's kind of like, for me, the breakout star of this book so far. And He's got a mohawk, yes. and he's got these little Grootlings that hang out yes. with him and sort of like, <laughs> yeah! They don't talk, they don't do anything, but they're around and they're like, yeah. you know, like puffing out their chest for Groot. Yes. Oh, it's so good. It's so cool because like everyone loves Groot. Everybody loves Groot. But this is like not the group that like most people know. This group can like speak in full sentences and all that stuff. There's a great sense of like, honor and like responsibility and like family and uh, like teamwork to this Groot, which I just love. Yeah. Groot used to talk. 
Yes. Like, the, like he would speak regularly. Yes. Like that was just a, a fun, effective thing that had developed over the last couple of years. Yeah. I like fully vocal Groot as with like his attitude like we see now. I think mm-hmm. that's great. Yeah, it's awesome. Next up. All right. Look out. As always, reader beware. Intense, big, huge, awesome stuff. It's Immortal Hulk. This is issue number 15. It's written by Al Ewing. Pencils by Joe Bennett. Inks by Roy Jose. Colors by Paul Mounts. And letters by VCs Corey Pettit. I'm so happy you brought up that two-page splash in Friendly Neighborhood Spider-Man because there are actually three that I thought of immediately in this week's books that kind of like had similar qualities that were like big two-page spreads that also kind of served as like, like you get a sense of the motion of a character through it. Like maybe it's or a montage kind of thing, maybe something. One of them was Friendly with Spider-Man. The other one is this, Mortal Hulk. And the other one is in Miles Morales. Um, oh, uh, I can't wait to talk so about that awesome. one in Miles. So awesome. This issue of Mortal Hulk, a lot of it takes place between Doc Sampson and Bruce Banner. At the end of last issue, the Hulk took a bullet to the dome, but he is the Immortal Hulk, of course. Yeah. And uh, real quick before you continue on, yes. just to make sure, like, if somebody doesn't know who Doc Sampson is, yeah. Yeah, Doc yeah. Sampson is sort of like therapist to the superheroes. <laughs> he is uh, Bruce Banner slash the Hulk's longtime friend, confidant, enemy, yeah. frenemy, therapist, and he died right. a couple years back. He came back relatively recently. So this also tells the story of his death and rebirth. Right, right. And for that reason, it's, I mean, you can imagine, I mean, if you've read any of this run at all, you can just immediately, you just immediately know that that's a fascinating character to bring to the fold because, I mean, this takes the inner turmoil of Bruce Banner, the horrific past, the struggles of this character and just amps it up to a degree like I've never seen before. So to have this character that has in a lot of this book, while there are like some huge epic Joe Bennett throwdowns and things like that, a lot of it is really fascinating dialogue between these characters because there is so much history there and because so much has happened in the recent past. But again, I'm looking at this two-page spread here of the one I was just referencing and it's it is just immense. I mean, I just will never get enough of Joe Bennett's Hulk like taking up as much of the page as possible. It makes me lose my mind every time. It is so so good. As always, we just ha- continuing to explore more and more fascinating territory in this series. It just won't quit. It is so so good. Yeah. For our wrestling fan listeners, the Hulk in here is kind of the new Daniel Bryan of Hulks. <laughs> That's a a little bit of a wrestling joke right. there for you. Anyway, uh, <laughs> up next is Jessica Jones, Purple Daughter, issue number three. This is the final issue of the Marvel Digital Original limited series. So good. So what this is is sort of a double size issue. So it's divided into two chapters. The first chapter is written by Kelly Thompson with art by Philippe Andrade, along with Matea de Aulis, as well as letters by VCs Corey Pettit and a really cool cover by Martin Simmons. And then the second half uh, is all Matteo on the art side. What an ending. Uh, Most of the first half of that first issue is this twisted dream world that Philippe draws. Right. And so he's kind of like really perfect for that off kilter, feeling that you get for things like Jessica. She's this housewife. There's a weird kid. Luke is sort of like, well, son, he's all buttoned up and everything. You have a cat that barks. Uh, (laughs) I was like, what is happening here? This twisted, quote unquote, idyllic life. 
but it's all connected to the Purple Man's family and his progeny. Uh, what's neat is like how Kelly has been pulling in the various threads of Purple Man's life. We've seen his daughter. We've seen the the purple children that mm-hmm. showed up in that Daredevil story. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the last issue, we met his oldest son. But it all shakes out in this big conflict here, which I don't want to dwell much more on. Yeah. Because that's part of why you and I love this book, Tucker, is like that mystery, that sense of, oh, my gosh, what is happening? Yeah. It was such a cool moment at the end. Of, I mean, it's one of those things that we like alluded to as much as possible. We kind of jumped around and navigated around as much as possible when we spoke about the last couple of chapters, the last issue, the last release, where kind of at the end, it all crumbled down around Jessica because she saw him. He's there. He's back. And uh, it's that thing where you're just saying, this can't happen. No, no. Like you're just, you can't take it right along with her. And for that reason, exactly, dramatically, it has to happen. Yeah. You know what I mean? You, just, you you have to go there. Yeah. If you don't read digital, the print collection comes out April 24th. But, I mean, you should read this. You can recommend right it however and, you can get it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we have one more digital this week. That is League of Legends Ash, War Mother, number four. It is written by Odin Austin Schaefer with layouts by Peter Gross, art by Nina Vacueva. Colors by Chris Blythe and letters by Duran Bennett. And this one sort of, this is the wrap up of this story where we see Ash becoming a war mother, mm-hmm. but she's a war mother that her, like the tribes around her really need, but not the one that most of them have the fortune to get. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of other business going on here, like hard truths about this world that they all live in. By the end of the issue, we see kind of what person Ash is, and that is very much a hero we get a sense of what our future holds, but I don't know this world past what I've read in these comics. So I want what happens now. Is this like, is this where you see her when you play the game? Is right. there more? I dig it. Uh, yeah, it's fun. Yeah, and major kudos to editor Mark Basso, who is kind of the man with the plan when it comes into all kinds of tie-ins and special kind of movie stuff and different things like that. And uh, just uh, excellent job across the board. And speaking of Mark Basso. We have another one from him. Yeah. This is Marvel's Spider-Man City at War. Number one, written by Dennis Hopeless Hallam, art by Michele Bandini, colors by David Curio, and letters by VCs Travis Lanham. Uh, And this one, it's kind of an adaptation of the story of the game Marvel Spider-Man for PlayStation, but uh, you get some more interior dialogue, some POV from Peter, some really different looks at various scenes in the game. There's some quirky and fun extra moments, too. There's one Mm. with Mr. Negative telling his men to wait in a freezer so that they don't get caught, which I don't remember being in the game. Mm -hmm. And there's this, like, cute little panel of them shivering in the freezer, (laughs) like, okay. There's one about Mary Jane remarking about how hot Spidey is when he's doing his heroing. (laughs) It's good. I Like, those are fun bits. And the next issue, we'll get a new villain in this universe, uh, plus there's behind-the-scenes art and development and background stuff for the issue. If you've not played the game, definitely cool to get a sense of what the story is. Yeah. And if you have played the game, it's cool to see a different perspective yeah, yeah. on all of it. Yeah, I, I spoke to Mark about this, and, and he he was telling me about how much effort they really put in to make it new and super exciting for you know whether you play the game and have like spent dozens and dozens of hours in that uh, world, or if... Just looking for a fun Spidey story. Hmm. From Spidey to Scrolls with Meet the Scrolls number two. And it's my first pick of the week. And it is written by Robbie Thompson. Art by Nico Imershon. 
Color assist by Lauren Grossat and letters by VCs Travis Landham. I got to give special shout outs to the covers here. First, of course, Marcos Martin with just beautiful cover. But Raza coming in here with one of the most engaging covers using minimalist imagery. It is wow. If you get your self a chance to get the Mar- the Raza cover for this issue. Yeah. Please do. There's also another Marvel Meow variant in here by Now Fuji. This one is so cool. It's got Rocket and Groot. And it is adorable. <laughs> it's so good. I I really dug the first issue, of course, but this is what got me. It feels like Robbie and Nico like this is where they're just gelling. This issue has lots of silent panels that rely on emotion. They rely on feeling, the setup, the circumstance. And they nail that. Like, that's a very crucial thing to have to do. And to get it really means that the team is working very well together. Mm -hmm. The drama, that angsty feeling of teenagers comes across so, so well in their expressions, in their body language, whether they're human or scroll. Like, you just, the eyes tell the story. Mm -hmm. It's like the blush of their faces, the slope of their shoulders. They're really cool, sneaky, sneaky moments in here that cements the sense of tension that is just sort of like always bubbling at the surface in every scene, every panel, every page of this book. Like there's lots of little fun, quirky relationship things going on, sometimes really harrowing things. The revelation that you found out about the family in the first issue, Mm -hmm. what that means for them now, especially by the end of the issue. And Nico's fashion sense is so good. He's like Chris Enka in a lot of ways and like how he thinks about what people are wearing, Mm -hmm. especially when you have someone like the Skrulls who they can wear anything. They can be anything and like changing their looks to be really fashion forward or to be schlubby or to be whatever it is works so well. Last page, I was like, no, I need another issue right now. It is tremendous. I, yeah, jump on this book right now, especially if you're just like, oh, I saw scrolls on on the big screen. Right. I want to learn more. This is very cool, very different. It is wonderful. Next up, we have Miles Morales, Spider-Man, number four. It's written by Saladin Ahmed with art by Javier Garon, colors by David Curiel, and letters by VC's Corey Pettit. It's my second pick of the week. Oh, yeah. Everyone needs to read this comic. Yeah. This one is so good. Look, first up, I'm going to say that this is pretty much Ferris Bueller's Day Off if Ferris wasn't a total schmuck. <laughs> right. I hate hate the character of Ferris Bueller. Wow. I think Hot he take. is loathsome. <laughs> he is deplorable. He's a sh- terrible friend. <laughs> he is inconsiderate of everyone around him. He is manipulative. He is sure. awful. I hate Ferris. I like that movie quite yes. a bit, yeah. but I hate him. <laughs> I, As I've gotten older, I've just been, that child? Yeah. Someone needs to write him. Like, get him straight because he is a terrible <laughs> human. Rooney, Rooney. <laughs> anyway, that is. Sorry, I don't. I don't know Whoa. if you feel the same about <laughs> Ferris. It seems like you don't. I caught you a little off guard on that one. Yeah, I'm kind of lukewarm on Ferris. Yeah, no. I, uh, anyway, uh, anyway. So this one is Miles and Judge and Barbara. Miles with one of his best friends and roommates, and Barbara his maybe girlfriend, skipping school to see a hip-hop exhibit at the Brooklyn Museum while poor 
Skunky is in the dorm room. He's sick. But they have the school's vice principal on the rampage to prove that Miles is a no good school <laughs> skipper. Uh, there's a really wonderful panel where he's like, why can't he be more like Spider-Man? And like when he says it, Javier's art has got like this sense of pride yeah. and joy. And I think there's like stars behind him <laughs> where he's talking about Spider-Man as this like stand up wonderful citizen, but he doesn't realize that they're the same person. It's this beautiful little moment. Uh, like just the art throughout this though. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. Javier is putting on a clinic in this book. Little things that he does, whether it's the details of people's clothing or their facial expressions or just the environments everywhere. He's just throwing so much into these panels and these pages. It is gorgeous. And then you were mentioning earlier, Tucker, about the two-page spread. Oh, come on. It's something that we've kind of, in a way, seen in Ms. Marvel before, where we have a kind of essentially like two-dimensional back image that then we have like the action taking place almost on top of and interacting with. And this one is this amazing, essentially like subway, classic looking subway Mac of New York as we have like the most delightful mixture of action taking place on top of as there's this kind of chase as like miles is like in one place versus principles in another place it is just delightful yeah they're, they're like super deformed kawaii depictions of right. miles judge and barbara and it is adorable yeah. it is so much fun <laughs> like this is the personality of the book yes. exploding off the page it is so much fun. If you like Spider-Verse, this is your book. If you like comics, this is your book. This should be your book. And something that I remember hearing when Saladin was laying out his pitch for the book a little while ago, I remember reading about was obviously essential to any Spider-Man story is like specifically this age of Spider-Man is like the mixture of the personal life, the superhero life, the school life. And that's something that I felt really like we're really digging into in this issue. But uh, something I'm super excited about that is getting into Miles creative writing, uh, which is going to be something that I think is a super fascinating kind of take on the character and, and, you know, his inside self and his mind and his own thoughts is really cool. Up next is Savage Sword of Conan, number three, written by Jerry Duggan, art by Ron Garney with Richard Izanov on the colors and letters by VC's Travis Lanham. You got Conan versus giant snake monsters and creepy snake men. The end. That's all you need to know. And it is gorgeous and it's cool. And Conan has some really fun lines and badass moments. I lied when I said that's all you need to know because I still have want to say these things. (laughs) There's this one line where it's like, death may be ahead of you but it is certainly behind you. And you're just like, <laughs> and there's another one who says like, hope is for fools. Yeah. And then he like jumps down and is like, oh, Conan, yeah. lops somebody's head off. Just super fun, thick, dark, heavy artwork. Uh, you feel the impact of everything. It's rad as hell. Totally. Next up, we have Solo, a Star Wars story adaptation. This is issue number six. It's the penultimate issue. It's written by Robbie Thompson with art. By Will Sliney, colors by Andres Mosa and Stephanie Renee, letters by VCs Joe Caramagna, and a fantastic cover by Mr. Phil Noto. This issue takes us from the initial showdown on Seravine with Enfys Nest, Enfys Nest's big reveal. All More the like way... Empty Nest, huh? Am I right? Oh, uh, sure. Uh, well, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, definitely. I, I mean, it's kind of joke. sad, but yeah. Uh, through to a really interesting moment and betrayal with Kira and we're going into the final kind of gunslinger showdown in the 
last issue, part seven. And next up is my first pick of the week. It is Spider-Man Life Story number one. This is such a cool idea for a series. I was so excited immediately when I heard about it. We essentially pick up with Peter Parker and we're traveling. There are going to be Chip Zdarsky's writing and he's taking us through the decades with Spider-Man and really kind of exploring how the different time, how the different kind of cultural influences on the character of Spider-Man's reality, how uh, they all have an impact on him exploring these different times in what in uh, just a super evergreen way. It is just such a, a fresh interesting idea. This first one, uh, this first story takes place in the 1960s. It's written by Chip Zdarsky with pencils by Mark Bagley, inks by John Dell, colors by Frank D'Armada, and letters by VCs Travis Lanham. Well, I, I like the like the elevator pitch for this is, yeah. what if we told the story of Spider-Man aging organically, organically yeah. and, and we tell the story through the years. You start with a spider bite where he's 15 or whatever yeah. in 1962, yeah. and it the issue, like whatever year we're in, he's aged appropriately. Right. Which I think is so neat and it has to be done well. And oof, Chip, yeah. Chip and Mark. Ooh, oh, wee. come on. I'm a big fan of cultural elements of the story. So I love to feel the impact and love feeling like this has been well-defined. This is not just kind of meant to be like ambiguously of a certain time of a certain era. No, we know that we're picking up this story essentially in 1966 and we see these wonderful little touches and little flourishes that allude to that in so many great different ways whether that is something like the vietnam war which we see in this issue or something like just you know the clothing or the way that times square looks in new york city or you know there's so many different elements at play simple little language things like yes money calling it like oh bread and, yeah yeah you know, like uh, that was something, yeah, I think, I think for that reason alone, Chip is the perfect person to, because you know how much he relishes that, you know, that he loves having fun with those elements and really bringing those colors forward. So to not only have that, but to have Chip writing the Green Goblin, to have him writing Norman Osborn, to have him writing this really classic Peter Parker in this issue is just so much fun. Really, I was sold from the pitch of this series and it completely, totally delivered. There's a bunch of great covers. There's a Marcos Martin cover of Peter watching TV, uh, mm -hmm. one of the variants. It is magical. Oh, yeah. So good. Up next is Star Wars number 63, written by Kieran Gillen, art by Angel Anzueta, colors by Guru Effects, and letters by VCs Clayton Cowles. Uh, and this one has got spy, 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 spy stuff. It's a funny story of Leia and her spy team doing spy stuff, being spies, infiltrating show to run, mm -hmm. uh, which is really neat. You've got that like sense of revenge, but it's wrapped up in these big moves for the rebellion. So she's doing Leia's like doing things she needs to do, but all of it, she's able to hold the dagger and stab back at the people who stabbed them. Right. Like you can feel how important that is for her to get back at them. Angel's art is wild. Like yeah. you look at how detailed he is. The scenes, the big rooms, tons of people, little touches across clothing and decor. It's wild. It's really intricate. Totally. Next up is my, hey, it's my second pick of the week. And it is Thor number 11, written by Jason Aaron with guest art on this one by Lee Garbett. 
fantastic stuff there. Guest colors by Antonio Fabella and letters and production by VCs Joe Sabino. This very much feels kind of like a prelude to War of the Realms in a lot of ways. It's really, really awesome. I think it bridges a fantastic gap between... I mean, you couldn't even really call it a gap now that I say that. I mean, Jason Aaron has been writing, essentially, he's been writing The War of the Realms for like seven years, I think, since he started writing Thor, which I think his first issue was in 2012. And you think about it, like a war isn't just like, oh, yeah. and it's on. Yeah. No, it, it's been building and roiling and like the aggressions have been going for so long. It's only when it hits a certain shore that everybody's like, what? Right, exactly. This is almost... It's almost the calm before the storm in a lot of ways because we start out with Thor who is quickly approaching the War of the Realms as the War of the Realms is quickly approaching him. Likewise, we have this fantastic narration and interaction between Lady Freya and Thor, which for me was the heart of this issue and was so powerful and so much fun to read because, you know, Lady Freya, I think, doesn't always quite get her due and I and I love Jason's version of this character. I love his take on this character. I think he's built her with like amazing complexities and and have uh, and given her such an amazing story over recent years. But what I specifically like what made me want to pick this, not just the Freya Thor stuff, but this issue really made me laugh a lot. Uh, and I uh, just love that. I, I think there's just elements of humanity in it in uh, in ways that you know only Jason Eric can do. Great stuff. And uh, hey, it's March. And War of the Realms is quickly on its way. So close. Uh, we're coming up on it. So, uh, yeah, can't wait. Yeah. This also has a Marvel Meow variant covered by Niao Fuji with Venom and a kitty teaming up against Carnage. It's awesome. Up next is Uncanny X-Men number 14, written by Matthew Rosenberg, art by Salvador LaRocca with colors by Guru Effects and letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. And uh, we have a talk with Matthew Rosenberg on last week's episode of This Week in Marvel about Cyclops' list of things that the X-Men have to deal with that was in oh, issue yeah. number 13. That was really fun. And then this issue, we actually get to see some of that stuff come together. I particularly love the scenes with Callisto and Chamber of the Morlocks. Finally, something is happening for the Morlocks. I know. Will somebody think of the Morlocks? Finally, we are. I'm really loving this team. Cyclops and Havoc. Them together feels good. Wolverine and Madrox in the mix brings a lot of funny moments. The New Mutants, even Dark Beast, it all just, it gels so much. Mm -hmm. It's intense and dark, but there's kind of like a tiny little bit of hope in there, maybe. We'll see. Very instrumental, but who knows? They're the X-Men. They do all kinds of cool stuff. There's a really neat sequence with Cyclops and Magic where the team are mistaken for the Avengers. And Matt writes this great line and it's like a two-page spread for it. Uh, it is a blast. Totally. Next up is Venom number 12, which is written by Donny Cates with art by Joshua Kassara, colors by Rain Barreto, and letters by VCs Clayton Cowles. I just I want to say big ups to Joshua Kassara because Ryan Stegman has created very quickly like his own iconic Venom and Venom story and Venom book just visually and for you know it's no small task to jump on board but it is really just seamless I think his work is incredible this issue gives a lot of context backstory a, a lot of different things are explained between Eddie his son Dylan Eddie's father there's a really cathartic big sit down if you could call it that <laughs> uh, between Eddie and his father it is really painful it's really really uh, you can feel Eddie's 
life difficulties with his father, with himself in every one of these pages. I think this issue was really beautifully done. Tucker, you and I got to sit on a cool meeting about uh, some future event yes. stuff, and it's going to be cool exactly. stuff. Uh, up next is West Coast Avengers number nine, written by Kelly Thompson, art by Geng Hyuk Lim, colors by Triona Farrell, VCs Joe Caramagna on the letters, and uh, this issue. It's got vampires. It's got awesome Wakandan moms. It's got hmm. baby land sharks biting bad guys. Do you need anything more? Come on. Oh, yeah, you do. Because it's got Kate's current and ex-boyfriends being kind of flirty with each other. It's got fun Hawkeye <laughs> moments. And one of my favorite panels of the week, a reaction panel where a few of the characters realize they're actually like heading off to fight vampires, not scrolls. Yes. And the three of them have these faces that like they go, woo! Yeah. And it's a very <laughs> classic anime, manga, manhwa style panel, and I love it. It is so good. Gang Hyuk Lim doing really, really fun work. So good. Last page, I was like, say, what? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. Last book this week is Wolverine Infinity Watch number two. It's written by Jerry Duggan with art by Andy McDonald, colors by Jordi Belair, and letters by VC's Corey Pettit. This issue really is, we jump between eras, we're bouncing back and forth, but this issue, the heart of this issue for me was you take Logan, you take Loki, you take the Warbringer, you put them into a blender, and that's this issue. Yeah. It is so funny. You feel the drama of it at all times, but like it's also just so hilarious to see the Warbringer dealing with certain circumstances that end up being like just innately funny. There aren't really jokes, but just like the way that it's played is so wonderfully. Each character is written so accurately to who they are, and then they're put in these unbelievable circumstances and then they're just played straight but so to see like that add up for me is just like perfect hilarious so much fun great issue and another meow variant cover uh <laughs> which is just the best i mean this one has uh wolverine and a kitty going through their daily routine together yeah it's the most adorable it's the greatest i i love specifically the way jerry writes logan all right, that's what's on sale this week. Collections on sale this week include Black Panther versus Deadpool, Captain America Epic Collection, The Superior Stratagem, Iron Man by Fraction and LaRocca, The Complete Collection, Volume 1, Return of Wolverine, Star Wars Legends Epic Collection, The Old Republic, Volume 3, Uncanny X-Men, X-Men Disassembled, and X-Men Onslaught Aftermath. Digital stuff, uh, we have now collections for the entire Deadpool by Brian Posehn and Jerry Duggan run. That's four collections now available on the app and some more stuff on Marvel Unlimited. We added 20 plus issues of the 1980s Thing series, which is really, really neat. Plus a lot of current and new issues, some, you know, more 80th anniversary stuff, so much more. It is a whopper of a week. Hope you all enjoy it. We'll be back with another episode next week. Oh, yeah. I'm Ryan. And I'm Tucker. This is Marvel. Your universe.